Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. Welcome to Dear John and Sarah. Or as I like to call it, Dear Sarah and John. It's a podcast where we answer your questions, provide you with dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from AFC Wimbledon's men's team and AFC Wimbledon's women's team. Oh. No Mars news this week. Yep, sorry about that. Hank's getting cut out of the podcast for a week. He's, uh, you know, it's not totally clear to me what he's doing. Well, we just told him that he couldn't come this week, that's all. Yeah, he's he. we decided that he's not available. Yeah. So we're going to answer some of your questions, but first, Sarah, usually when we have guests on the pod, for those who don't know, by the way, Sarah is my spouse. Yes, I'm Sarah Urest Green, and I'm married to you, John Green. That's right. Um, I'm. We've been a... married a long time. Well, I mean, it's all relative, John. Longer than some, longer, <laughs> shorter than others. <laughs> longer than most, I would say. Um, but uh, for those who don't know me, I am a curator and art educator. Um, I used to have a series called The Art Assignment on YouTube, which is still there, still full of knowledge for you to uh, listen to, glean whenever you like. And I have a course out called How to Appreciate Art with Bright Trip, which you can find by going to brighttrip.com. That's all true. Um, I don't have anything to promote right now. Oh, except that I'm going to Miami, people of South Florida. I will be in say, your say town. Say that again. Miami. Well, I'll tell you a story about Miami. Miami. <laughs> well, I, I'm Floridian, okay? So the way I pronounce it is inherently correct. I'm going to Miami uh, on, <laughs> I believe, March 23rd. You can get more info at booksandbooks.com. Books and Books is hosting the event. It's the launch event for the Anthropocene Reviewed Paperback, and I'm really excited, and I would love to see you there. So I guess we do both have things to promote. Go to Bright Trip and booksandbooks.com. Now, here's my story about Miami. Okay. When I was a kid, mm-hmm. my dad worked for the Nature Conservancy. I remember. In Florida. Well. Well, I don't remember because I, I didn't know you then. We but. weren't we weren't buds. Right. But yeah. But I know this now. So he had to travel a lot for work, go all over the state of Florida trying to conserve land and convince rich people to turn over their land for conservation. 
And he would often have to go to South Florida because I don't know if you know this, but that's pretty near the Everglades, which mm-hmm. are a significant ecological phenomenon in Florida. Right. And a deeply endangered one. So sure. it's a big focus of my dad's work. And so he would often have to fly to Miami. And when I was about six, what? That's Miami. how you. That's how you say it. Yeah. Okay. He'd right. often have to fly to Miami. And when I was about seven or eight years old, he said, "I'm gonna go. I gotta go to Miami this week." And I said, "I don't understand why you keep why you keep having to go to your Miami." <laughs> Miami, your Miami. Yeah, I thought it was Miami. I thought it was his Miami. That's, that's maybe that's why I pronounce it that way. That's actually, cute. it's your Miami. <laughs> I believe we were also in the Miami International Airport. One of my most famous uh, childhood t- temper tantrums happened mm. when I put my bag on the ground uh, along with my backpack, laid down on the floor of the Miami International Airport, spread my arms and legs out as wide as I could, and said, "I just can't do it anymore." Yeah, well, yeah, everybody understands that. I mean, that's how I feel right now. Yeah. Oh, come on. It's a beautiful day. It is. Um, We're podcasting together. It's true. That part is nice. It's nice to be in your company. Yeah. Let let me ask you this question from Butterboy. Okay, let's hear it. Butterboy writes, Dear John and Sarah, why do we put butter in that thing in our fridges? Love, Butterboy. Why do we put butter in that thing in our fridges? Now, by that thing. You know, that thing. Is it the, the. The butter holder. The butter area. But you you often have a butter area in your refrigerator, mm-hmm. but you also, many people, including us, have a butter thing inside the butter area. What is that right. thing called? A butter holder? <laughs> we can call it a butter. Well, there's like the butter area. The butter area. And, and then the butter there's the... holder. I would, yeah. I mean, this is actually a pretty good question. You know, usually like, I mean, I would think that you need that butter container. Yeah. Because if you just put the butter into the holder, it'll get kind of sticky, be, get kind of gross. Yeah. And then like you'd have to go in there with a knife yeah, and like cut it off of your right. fridge shelf. So you do need that. I think you benefit from it. I don't know if you need it. Well, you know? do we need a, a ginormous cold box to keep way more cold to eat than we possibly need? Probably not. No. Um, when we lived in the Netherlands, we had a, one of those refrigerators that's like a college beer fridge. Oh, it was great. And it was all, Sarah was constantly saying, this is it. This is what we should have. <laughs> then we but, moved back to America and we got a gigantic fridge. Yeah, but there was a market around the corner that's from true. where we were living. That's and true. you could just get what you needed. That's and it true. was just, you know, that that walkable lifestyle that that we we could have if it was a priority, John. That's right. But back to the question, mm-hmm. I mean, there there's there's that question. Maybe, maybe it creates like a humidity area mm. for it. Mm. So it doesn't well, I dry recently, out I recently like the learned, CRISPR. Right. I recently learned that the CRISPR has an actual purpose. Yeah. And I had always thought up until I was about 44 that the CRISPR was just the area of the refrigerator where one traditionally puts vegetables and fruits. <laughs> um, yeah. That it was sort of like, why do you wear white at a wedding? Mm-hmm, you just mm-hmm. do. It's just custom. As long as you're a guest. Right. That's, <laughs> oh. I, I, always, I always wear a white tuxedo yeah. to any wedding I go to. It's a strict policy of mine. Everyone enjoys it. It's a great bit. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, I do, if, I, if we have fresh... Fresh baked bread, fresh baked bread. Um, yep. 
uh, and I'm gonna be using butter a lot. I do like to keep it out on the counter. Oh yeah, Although Sarah. I don't know how you feel about Sarah that. does not does not feel like butter really needs to be that refrigerated. Well, if you follow certain protocol, it mm-hmm. doesn't have to be. Let me Google that real quick. According to the USDA, butter is safe at room temperature, but if it's left out for several days at room temperature, it can turn rancid, causing off flavors. Mm. The USDA does not recommend leaving it out for more than one to two days. But you can leave it out for a whole day and nothing bad happens. Yeah, unless your house is really hot, you know? Yeah, if your house is like 130 degrees, then you're going to get melted butter for sure. Or rancid butter. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so we got another question from Melody who writes, Dear John and Sarah, I'm 22 and last spring I had a stroke, or maybe two, and as a result of this, I lost a fair amount of memories of names and places. How do I explain this to people without getting all their sympathy? Like, I'm really fine. But I also don't remember your name, even though I know that I know you. Anyways, the whole thing is hard, Melody. That does sound hard. That does sound very hard, Melody. But isn't that a good answer to say, I'm fine, I really am, but I also don't remember your name? Right. Because I had a stroke. Or two. Or two. But then if you say I had a stroke or two, I mean, I think Melody's point is that, like, they don't want to have people feel bad for them. Right. They don't want to be like, Oh, yes. Every time I have to, like, go through this sort of, like, dance of sympathy. Right. When I'm fine, I just don't remember your name. Right. Well, it's like, um, you know, I'm not suggesting this. I'm just just throwing out ideas. Sure, sure. Like, you could do the thing where you had a little card. Yeah, I have a buddy who has a card. Right. He just hands out the card and says, uh, if I am struggling with my speech, you don't need to worry. It's just a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So you could do that. And that way you could pick exactly um, what you want to say. say. And it sounds like you're, you've got a sense of humor, Melody. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you could you could make it funny yeah. um, uh, or not. Uh, and you could communicate that way. Uh, but, you know, I feel like, uh, I don't know, John, you never remember people. I don't remember them. a lot of names. I don't remember um, a lot of names. And it's you true. Don't I don't really have a good excuse. Well, I don't. I certainly don't have a good so excuse. So what do you do? Um, well, the first thing I do is I get a little offended, Melody, if people expect me to remember their name because I don't expect them to remember my name. And like, what what is this thing with expecting like? Every time you see someone, you should reintroduce yourself. That's what I do. I say, hi, it's John. Nice to see well, you again. I think there should be a point after which, like, if they're a very close friend, you don't expect that. But yes, but I, I, would try, argue, I try I w- to do that when I when I run into somebody. Yeah. I'll say, like, hey, Sarah Green, great to see you. But I would argue Melody's very close friends and family probably already no. don't expect Melody to remember the name necessarily. Right. So, like... So it's not, it's probably not them that's the issue. And if it is, that's kind of on them. Mm -hmm. Like they've had time to get used to it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I feel like it's mostly people like, oh yeah, no, I've seen you 30 times in my life or a hundred times in my life, but I haven't seen you in a while and I don't remember your name. Right. I guess my one, one approach would be to um, just talk to them while not just sort of embrace not knowing who they are yeah, and try to have a connection with them without knowing their mm. name. I like to, I love to say, Hey buddy, good to see you, bud. How you doing, buddy? I feel like that's a little bit patronizing. Uh, I, well, what do you want me to say? I used to, <laughs> hi. I, I do that sometimes. Isn't this a nice day? I, I, I'll say, I'll say hi with up talk sometimes. Yeah. I'll be like, hi. Oh yeah, yeah. We haven't seen each other in. <sighs> 
Yeah. Weeks, how months, long, years? How long is it? You been? tell me. Yeah. I um it's good to see you again unless we're meeting for the first time in which it's great to meet you. Right. Um I try not to say I often say it's good to see you again and someone will say it's nice to meet you and I'm like don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> like you didn't have to do it. Right. Nobody benefited from you doing it. Well, you're just sensitive. I am a little sensitive. You're being a little oversensitive. Well, I, I just don't have Whatever that part of your, I, I just don't have that. Like, you do, you struggle with facial recognition, period. Oh, oh I'm So if I'm, anyone who's listening to this pod um, has ever encountered yeah, John yeah. Um, uh, in any sort of circumstance and they should remember you and, um, and he should remember you, but he doesn't, you are not alone. Yeah, very um, true. John constantly, when we're out, thinks that non-celebrities are celebrities. We just saw Tony Hawk earlier today <laughs> here in Indianapolis. It was a shock. He was at Starbucks. And then and then when you are around someone with any sort of renown, you d- do not recognize them and can't remember them. Never. <laughs> Never. No, you're totally right. The classic example of this is that I met an extremely famous actor at the MTV Movie Awards. You were there. And um, I met them. Their daughter introduced me to them, and I said, hello, it's nice to, nice to meet you. And then, like, 45 seconds later, the same person came up to me. I shook my hand and said, hello, it's so nice and to I, meet you. And my role is to be like, dear Lord, <laughs> not, not only John, have you met, you just met. John, you met Meryl Streep 45 seconds no, ago. Now you're meeting Meryl, Meryl Streep for a second time. But I also, I also have the... The, the recognition problem, like when we're watching movies. Yeah. And that is especially difficult to live with because I'll be uh, like, God. I'll be like, wait a second. No, is that I'll the guy like, from earlier? Do I, do I really need to say this? Is that still Natasha Leone, the yes. one who, who knows if you're lying? You, you, you can recognize her. I can recognize Natasha yeah. Leone. I have a yeah. little bit of a crush well, on Natasha Leone. Yeah. Uh, so do I. I know. Um, who, who wouldn't? But, uh, but Melody, I think, um, it, in some, it's also like, I, I understand your are not wanting to have to say it again and again. But if you do feel like that's the best way, um, your tone, uh, your tone sets the tone. Right. (laughs) So if you, uh, say it with a smile or, you know, I would never ask anyone to smile, but I just mean like whatever your attitude is, I usually other people follow it. Yeah. But also I think it's important to remember that like, this isn't your fault like this is happening because of who you are and what happened to you and also a bunch of weird social constructions in our social order about when you're supposed to know someone's and use someone's name Mm -hmm. so if you have uh hopefully anyone who's who's cool and nice will just be graceful about it right all right Sarah. we have another question it's also a, a little bit of a serious one i'm sorry but it's just the vibe that's okay This is from Alyssa who writes, John and Sarah, but mostly John. I'm a second year high school math teacher who's currently completing further study in mental health. And I really enjoy your takes on tuberculosis. Thank you, Alyssa. It's a a passion. Um, If you think it's fun on TikTok, imagine living with me. Uh, Especially your observation that stigma and romanticization are not mutually exclusive or opposites. Do you think that's currently happening with mental illness? Like we see the tortured artist and teenager trope everywhere, but we often don't want to discuss the genuine issues with mental health. Not a Mona, just a Lisa. Maybe I was pronouncing Alyssa's name incorrectly Mm. the first time, but 
I do see this, and that's part of the reason I wanted to make those videos about our historical responses to TB is that I think we see it not just with mental illness, but we certainly do see it with mental illness, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Sarah's made work about the idea of the tortured artist, so I'd be really interested to hear her speak to that. But as far as my personal experience goes, there is an expectation that writers will be a little crazy or else that they'll abuse substances or that they'll be really tortured and miserable. And coincidentally, in the same way that, like, you know, a lot of artists in the 19th century had tuberculosis, but being an artist didn't cause tuberculosis. I have mental health problems, but being a writer didn't cause them. Uh, I know that because I had them before I was a writer, and I don't think it makes me particularly creative, which I know because when I'm really sick, I can't make anything. So I've, I have experienced some of that up close. And I think in some ways I've probably maybe played with it, maybe taken advantage of it at times. And so I was, I, I'm, I'm conscious of that now. And I look back on those, uh, that, you know, those earlier times in my career. And I think like, well, was I, was I using this romanticization? And as a result, did I experience a different level or a different kind of stigma? And, yeah, it is something I think a lot about, and it's really important, I think, to internalize that um, if an illness is romanticized, that doesn't mean that it's fun to have or good to have, and illnesses that are romanticized can simultaneously be highly, highly stigmatized. Mm-hmm. That was certainly the case with TB. It still is. the. I mean, insofar as TB is still romanticized, it's still the case with TB. It's the case with poverty, you know, we often hear about the the happy poor person who has an uncomplicated life, who just like, you know, happily uh, works in agriculture and, and or whatever. And, uh, you know, that that idea is as essentializing and as dehumanizing as as any other form of, of othering people. Mm-hmm. Well, I've made um, I made two art assignment videos that you can watch if you want Um one is called The Myth of the Tortured Artist, and the other one is called The Truth of the Tortured Artist. Um, you had to backtrack a little. Well, but but it, it's also true there are some artists who are, quote unquote, tortured. You know, right. like mental illness um, intersects with other identities. Right. So, um, you know, I think... Um, I think that it's also highly contextual. So um, I feel like in my world right now, mental illness is not that stigmatized, but that's Mm. because of where I am in my life Mm. and who I intersect with and where I live. But don't you think illnesses like... um bipolar disorder and schizoaffective disorder are still pretty heavily stigmatized. I'm not saying that they're not. I'm yeah. just, I, I feel, but that this is precisely what I'm saying. Like, I feel like personally in my lived experience, they're less stigmatized, even, even some of those disorders that they, they have were, been. Certainly than they were when we were younger. Than they were when, I, when For sure. we were younger and you would use those terms as insults. Right. Um, but um, uh, but I also think that it's just um, it, it's just tough and people are many things. Um, so, I, I, yes, I think that you can definitely make that comparison. Um, I think that there are some artists um, who are highly organized and functional and um, uh 
happy <laughs> or not happy, uh, fulfilled, um, or I guess just like not depressed, <laughs> yeah. let's say, or not yeah. suffering from yeah. um, any sort of mental health disorder. I right. mean, I think everyone does. In, to some to extent, some right. Extent, it's, it's very much a spectrum. spectrum. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. Yeah, I also think that... But there are some artists who suffer from um, mental health uh, uh, disorders and their art is, is an outlet for that. Right, or is a response to it right. in some it, ways. It's, because it's, it's dangerous to, yeah. to say that in some ways, but, um, I but I think it is true for some people. And you never want to oversimplify, right? Like people's experiences are multitudinous and contradictory. And, uh, you know, I, I was thinking about that in the context of this book that we both love tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow that, you know, a lot of the characters in that book. By Gabrielle um, Zevin. Yeah. They they act, interact with each other in ways that are paradoxical or that are, that are confusing mm-hmm. uh, at times, like their motivations aren't always like entirely clear, which is the most, which is part of what I love so much about the book because that is so human. It's so like life. And yeah. often in stories, especially in sort of like action packed kind of plotty stories, mm-hmm. the characters' motivations have to be so clearly mapped every single step of the way that, um, that maybe that makes for good st- storytelling or like compelling Marvel movies, but it doesn't really, it's not really true. Right. We all contain all those like paradoxes and complexities. But I think to get back to your point about the, the myth of the tortured artist and the truth of the tortured artist, you could just as easily make a video series that's called the myth of the artistic consumptive and the truth of the artistic right. consumptive, right? right? Because there were lots of artists and poets who felt like uh, their their illness, their proximity to mortality, their... um, Impending death. Yeah, those feelings heightened their work in some ways. And there were artists who felt like, well, now I can't do anything else. Mm -hmm. You know, like the things that I could do that like... that were that were physical and, and active, I can't do as much right now. Mm-hmm. And so my life is more interior. It's more about writing. It's more about painting, whatever. So I think you have to make room for all of that. Like, But the, the important thing is that it is neither true that mental illness causes creativity or mm-hmm. that creativity causes mental illness, just as it's not true that TB causes creativity or creativity causes TB. It's way more complicated. Yeah, agree. All right, Sarah, here's a boxing question for you since you're a retired boxer. Mm -hmm. Robin asked, Dear John and Sarah, if southpaw in fighting is when you fight left-handed, are right-handed fighters called northpaws? Keep me away from the bank. Robin. (laughs) So they're robbing the bank. I, I get it. It's good. I get it. It's cute. So... What, in your opinion, first off, are you a southpaw? No, I'm not. But you have to train both. Did you ever? To to keep it even. Oh. You train both ways. Or I always did. But when when you were actually sparring with someone. Yeah. Did you ever spar with a southpaw and experience like how weird and different it is? Because they don't, they aren't like a mirror of you. They're like a continuation of you. No. It's very weird. Did you do that? I have before. Okay. Yeah. I was attacked by a a young southpaw (laughs) when I was uh, boxing during a hundred (laughs) days. 
this okay. this nice young woman right. uh, came into the gym, yes. and my trainer was like, "Well, this this." nice young woman is going to box you now. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, my heart rate went to 170 <laughs> instantly. Wait, but what is the answer to the question? I don't remember. I it's for, to me it's just like regular. It is. <laughs> it's like It is. It's like a regular it's like stance no, or it's co- or standard stance. Standard? Yeah, or right-handed. There is a word. It's Orthodox. Right. Are you an right. orthodox fighter? I'm an orthodox and fighter. That's where you keep your right hand back because that's where all your strength is. And yes, and your stance, um, your left foot is forward. If Sarah right. sounds further from the mic, it's because she's because just I taken just up the stance. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> she couldn't resist the urge but yes, to go full. Your, your shoulder is also skewed, so your left shoulder is more forward. So you yeah. jab. With your left. Jab with your left. And, and then, then you have, you can use your whole torso to kind of torque around. Right. So that your rear right arm is more has more power as it, you use your body to punch. It also has more distance to travel, which allows it to accelerate a little more. Mm-hmm. But mostly it's that you get to use way more muscles in that sort of whatever your power punch is. Yeah. But... Once you get to a certain level of boxing, yeah. and it, it sounds like you're there, Robin, um, you can you can do a lot of damage with either of your hands. That's right. That's why I had to um, actually register both of my fists as weapons. Yeah. In when I enter when I enter a foreign country. Yeah. Everybody knows that about John. Yeah, people people say that about me that I've got a good left hook and a good yeah. right hook. Scary. Allie asks. Dear John and Sarah, what's the best donut you've mm. ever had? Jams and Jimmies. Allie, I don't know what a Jimmy is, or a jam for that matter. <laughs> what What is the best donut you've ever had, Sarah? Whew. Well, I remember as a kid having um, a Krispy Kreme for mm, the first time. Yeah. And I like that they kind of sort of disappear in your mouth. Yeah, those They're not early, very big. Warm Krispy Kreme. They're creams. warm and they just sort of melt away. Yeah. They're very airy. Right. Um, sweet, good. Yeah. Um, yeah, I tend to like more simple donuts. Mm-hmm. Um, like a cake donut. You like a, a blueberry cake. They're also, I've had a potato flour Of course you have. Yeah. That was very good. Um, and then, you know, I, I don't tend to go for like the real fancy ones. I had a mochi donut recently. Mm, how was that? And I like that gummy mo- mochi texture, mm-hmm. but it, I, di- I didn't love it in this form. Well, this is a, this is a common problem we see in both donuts and tech, the technology sector, mm-hmm. which is that there is no need to disrupt something that is working perfectly. Yeah, keep it simple. Right? Like, I, I totally understand why, like, food delivery needed to be disrupted, and I understand why, like, bad email needed to be disrupted by, by Gmail and whatnot. Th- there are some things that just don't need to be heavily disrupted. Yeah. And one of them is donuts. My favorite donut in the Indianapolis area is Long's, Long's. Donuts. Long, not only is it my favorite donut in Indianapolis, it's also by far the cheapest donut in Indianapolis. Yeah, and it's been around for a long time. There's nothing, there's no bacon. Yeah. There's no lavender. No. Um, but no. John, I know. I happen to know that you really like... Dunkin' Donuts blueberry donut holes. I do. I love any cake-based donut. Like, I don't want it glazed. 
I don't want it to be Krispy Kreme melt in your well, mouth. Well, it could be cake, but gla- glazed cake. Maybe slightly glazed. Yeah. Um, but speaking of Long's Donuts, <laughs> I'm reminded. I knew you were going to bring this up. Of Indianapolis, Indianapolis rapper Tevin Stuttered has this um, song about Long's Bakery that is one of the greatest. I don't want to overhype it. But it's one of the greatest rap songs about donuts ever made. He made it in the middle of the pandemic. And he he made the song as a way of letting people know that Long's was open again. That like the <laughs> lockdown had ended and Long's was back was on the open. menu. You have to you have to look it up. There's a wonderful music video on YouTube. You know how many times the yeast bless my body. Probably had me back in Eskenazi. <laughs> It's, it's really great. Eskenazi is a hospital yeah. in Indianapolis. <laughs> yeah. I've just always loved that rhyme so much. You know how much the yeast t- touched my body? Probably have me back at Eskenazi. It's so good. <laughs> the whole song is great, though. So um, Long's Donuts is the best donuts place in Indianapolis. Long's um, Bakery. And yeah. Tevin Studdard is a really great Indianapolis-based rapper. Which reminds me, Sarah, that today's podcast is actually brought to us by Long's Donuts. What do you know? Yeah, Long's Donuts. They'd like us to know that their name is Long's Bakery and that I should stop (laughs) saying the name wrong. Today's episode is also brought to us by butter, which can be left out for one to two days. That's good. That's good. You have a very good announcing the sponsor's voice. Do you want to do our ads? <laughs> I don't think... I think Dear John and Hank needs Hank or John. No, I really like the, the idea that there's a third person who just reads the ads in that like mm-hmm. lovely voice. I think you're biased. I don't think I am. I think that you like me, and I'm glad you like I me. I do like you. Do you want to read the new Policy Genius ad? It's hilarious. <laughs> I can try, but you're, I, you're the Policy Genius genius. <laughs> there is nothing in my life that I work harder on I than those policy genius I like, ads. I, like, I love that. Today's podcast is, of course, also brought to you by the idea that stigmatization and romanticization are not opposites, but complementary strategies for othering people. I don't have a tagline for that one. <laughs> Today's podcast is also brought to us by John's Left Hook. <laughs> it's a, It's a banger. We also have a Project for Awesome message from Karen to Rob. Dear Rob, I'm so glad I've successfully inaugurated you into the world of Nerdfighteria. I love listening to the pod with you in the car, catching up on the latest Vlogbrothers or Crash Course at lunch, now that you're my stay-at-home co-worker too, and just being silly together. I love you and can't wait to be your wife. P.S. You're the stinky one. Love, Karen. (laughs) I assume that's a sweet inside joke, but if it's mean, Rob, I think you're great. It's not mean. That's very sweet. It's a term of endearment. That's so cute. Thank y'all. So listen, your toilet is massively gross, like it's grosser than you think. In fact, bacteria and viruses can hang around in the toilet bowl even after multiple flushes. And I recently found the easiest way to clean my toilet, Blue Land's Sustainable Toilet Cleaner Tablets. Just drop, watch it fizz, brush, and flush. It is truly that simple. No more scrubbing for hours. Plus, the tablets are plastic-free. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and for the planet 
with the same powerful clean that you're used to. Blue Land products are effective and affordable, and their toilet tablets are proven to work on a wide range of toilet stains, including rust, mineral deposits, lime scale, and hard water. And you can even get more savings by buying refills in bulk or setting up a subscription. Blue Land has a special offer for our listeners. Right now, you can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss this blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. That's blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. This episode of Dear Hang Jones brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week and it was a problem. I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house and Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and household essentials and the convenience of getting everything online and then like just quickly shipped to the doorstep. It's a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods. They got Amy's, Banza, Burt's Bees, Chobani, Honest Kids, Kind, Mike's Hot Honey, Oatly, Olipop, Poppy, Salt, I've never heard of salt, but it's got two A's in it, so it has to be good. And as a Thrive Market member, you can save money on every single grocery order. On average, you can save over 30% every time. And they also have a deals page that changes every day. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a $60 free gift. I enjoyed my $60 free gift. I was surprised by it, and it was the kind of thing I wouldn't have bought. And then now I'm like on the ghee train. They gave me free ghee. And I was like, I don't know what ghee is. But then I was like, oh, this is great. It's like butter, but it's different and more spreadable. (laughs) Go to thrivemarket.com slash dearhank for 30% off your first order, plus that free $60 gift. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash dearhank, thrivemarket.com slash dearhank. All right, Sarah, we've got an Indianapolis-specific question before we get to um, the the all-important news from AFC Wimbledon and AFC Wimbledon's women's team. From Yasmin, who writes, Dear John and Hank, for my last birthday, my husband surprised me with a trip to Indianapolis so we could do a book tour of my two favorite books, The Fault in Our Stars and Turtles All the Way Down, available everywhere books are sold. Yasmin, that's great work. Really (laughs) critical work. It was such a cool experience to explore Indianapolis through the eyes of Hazel and Aza. We ate where Aza ate at the Applebee's. We got slushies from the Speedway of Augustus's medical emergency and visited Crown Hill. We discovered the beauty of the White River while trying and failing to get to Wallet Island. That's a dangerous (laughs) trip, Yasmin. (laughs) That should only be done on certain days of the year. Uh, Yeah, and if you don't have any open wounds. (laughs) But John, where on earth is the Pogues Run Tunnel? Oh. My husband and I drove all over Indianapolis and tried many different addresses and couldn't find it. Yeah. Uh, birthdays and books, Yasmin, the birthday queen. P.S. We gave our birthday book tour of Indianapolis four and a half stars. Oh. That's so great. That's and there's so a wonderful great. picture, too. That's great. Pictures. Multiple pictures of multiple uh, Pizza John shirts and multiple this is great. locations. Pretty great. So um, it's pretty good, Yasmin, that you didn't find the entrance to the yeah. Pogues Run Tunnel. The first, I would say, like, the first 500 yards of that tunnel are, are not that 
not super safe. So uh, for the wider audience who doesn't yeah. know what you're talking about, sure. what is Pogue's Run? So there used to be this creek that ran through um, much of the near north side of Indianapolis and then dumped into the White River right downtown. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, oh, we'd like to use this for housing. So we're going to put this creek underground. Mm-hmm. And that's what the Pogue's Run Tunnel is. It's a way for this this creek called Pogues Run to run underneath the city uh, and then dump out right by the football stadium. Mm -hmm. You can see the place where it dumps out by the football stadium, which is actually cooler to see. Mm -hmm. Um, But I almost I I feel like I shouldn't tell people where the entrance to the tunnel itself is, because one, I don't think it's super safe. And two, um, I don't really want it getting like overrun. Yeah, I think you can ask around. I, I, I haven't been there. No, no, um, it's a. Le- I, I'm content to just read about it in your book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I definitely made it more interesting in the book than it is in real life. Yeah. Like in real life, it's just a, a tunnel. There's yeah. no side tunnels. It just pretty much goes straight for about a mile in total darkness. Yeah. Um. And uh, yeah, it's a yeah. So. I think you did all the fun stuff. Yeah, you really did. You You did did the good stuff. You did it. You got that Slurpee. You had the dream. Sarah, would you... I'm so glad you had a good time. Me too. We're sorry if you can hear that beeping, by the way. It's also annoying for us. (laughs) We're planting trees here at the house. All right, Sarah, one last question from Jasmine, who writes, Dear John and Sarah, how could I make a Dr. Pepper cheesecake, and would you eat a Dr. Mm, Pepper cheesecake? mm, Yes. Um... You totally could make one. You could totally make one. What I would do, yeah. Um, uh, what I would do is make a a, a syrup. Mm-hmm. Um, I would I would boil down some some Dr Pepper, um, and concentrate it into a syrup, and then I would probably like swirl that syrup into the cheesecake. Mm-hmm. Um, and then maybe put a little bit on top or something. Mm-hmm. I would try that. I would try that. I'd probably eat it. Like, I have a lot of the weird cheesecakes at the Cheesecake Factory over the years. And I'm always like, that's a good cheesecake. It's still still pretty good. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's hard to mess it up. Like, it's sweet. Yeah. got some... But what I'm guessing the question comes from is that since it's not derived from any flavors in the real world... Oh, yeah. No, I think you have to use Dr. Pepper syrup. You can't can't try to recreate the taste. You would have to use Dr. Pepper. Totally. You might might, um, sort of uh, incorporate it in different ways. Yeah, but you'd have to use Dr. Pepper syrup. Like, even when we make soda water with our soda stream and then try to put... The, the fake Dr. Pepper uh, s- stuff into it, mm-hmm. it's so bad. Right. Because only Dr. Pepper is, is Dr. Dr. Pepper. Pepper. Right. That's one of the, actually, that's one of the sort of axiomatic right. facts of the universe. Actually, you know what I think I would do? I mm. would make like a a che- cheesecake bars so that it they were in like a nine by 13 pan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I just, I just put the syrup on top and let it sort of be a Dr. Pepper syrup um, mm. layer on top. Mm. Okay. Well, you're I the still, expert. I don't think it's going to be like the next big thing. <laughs> I mean, Dr. Pepper's trying to get it out there with Dr. Pepper peeps. Oh. <laughs> They're so bad, unfortunately. And I'll, I'll have a Dr. Pepper anything. So I was shocked. <laughs> 
So, Sarah, um, let's move on to the news from AFC Wimbledon. Okay. You'll recall that one thing about AFC Wimbledon Mm -hmm. is that over the last three seasons, even though we've had three different managers and many different players, players, so many players coming and going, very few of the same players over these three seasons, the one constant is that no team in professional football literally is more likely to give up a lead Mm-hmm. than AFC Wimbledon. Ooh, that hurts. And we have given up leads in each of our last three games. Mm-hmm. And we have gone on to lose two of those games, which has just been infuriating for me. So yeah. over the last three games, our new January signing, Ali Alhamidi, who moved from Iraq, he has an incredible life story. His father was imprisoned as a political prisoner by Saddam Hussein. His family escaped to Britain, and then eventually his father was able to get to Britain as well. And he became a professional footballer. He plays for AFC Wimbledon. He's been incredible. Over the last three games, or I think over the last four games, he scored five goals, all of them beautiful. Wow. And I'm just... That's a, very exciting. I know. He's great. He's only 21 years old. He's also from Liverpool, so he has an extremely thick Scouse accent, which makes me feel right at home listening to a footballer interview. Can we keep him? Great question. Not, I mean, not long term, but he did sign a two-year contract. So we can keep him for at least a year, hopefully. Great. I'd love to have him next season yeah. because hopefully the, we won't be quite as bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so we lost to Stevenage after going 1-0 up. Mm-hmm. Um, both goals, we lost 3-2. And then we lost to Mansfield Town Oof. over the weekend, 3-1, after going Sheesh. 1-0 up from a goal by Ali Alhamidi. And it's getting very frustrating. I don't know what else to say about it. We're in 16th place. We're probably not going to get relegated. It's just super annoying. I think I think you need to go to a match. Well, so the last time I went to a match was our last win. Yeah. And since then, we've been on a terrible run. So I think so I need to go good. to another match to flip the script again. Yeah, I think so. I think it's about me. Get I'm, out of here, John. I go. will. I will. I actually am going to a match, as I you know, know in a couple <laughs> weeks. Um, the news from the AFC Wimbledon women's team, which I'm not sure if you know this, but mm-hmm. is sponsored by Rosiana and me. I, I know. Partners in Health on yeah. the back of their shorts. Mm-hmm. Um, they have been undefeated since Rosiana and I started sponsoring them. Hmm. And they beat the best team in the league, hashtag United, 4 nil. And then uh, earlier this week, uh, they beat Chesham United 4-1 and, frankly, looked excellent. Now only two points off first place in uh, their division, which is the fourth tier of professional women's soccer, um, and a real opportunity to win the league and get promoted. And next season, Rosiana and I could sponsor a third tier women's soccer team. Outstanding. Very exciting stuff. So... The good news waxes and wanes in football. Yes. My other team, Liverpool, did beat Manchester United 7-0 over the weekend. Yes, I I witnessed it. Oh, that was fun. Yes. God, that was fun. Oh, I love football. I know. (laughs) 
I have to, I will admit to you that I really have to focus when you start talking about football. It's I'm easy like, to just come like, on. I like start to think about what I'm doing after this. Mm, yeah. <laughs> You're like, I can't wait to go for a walk. And I'm like, come on, Cyril. Lock it in. Lock it in. Focus. What is John cares about this. What is it? I don't think you have anything like that that I struggle to pay attention to, but you probably, mm-hmm. I don't know. At the beginning when you were really into pottery and I didn't know anything about it, but then I did the work to get into pottery. I haven't not done the work, John. To get into soccer? Yeah. Well, I'm not sure you could name an AFC Wimbledon player. And that's okay. That's okay. But I didn't used to know a lot of the pottery I terms. Could when we were at a game. Yeah. A match. Yeah. No, it's all good. I know to say match. Well, yeah, no, you know a lot. There's a lot, you know. You... I know it's not a field, it's a pitch. It's everything. It's that old thing where everything you've learned about soccer, you've learned against your will. But I did actually play soccer. I know. You understand it tactically very well. I understand the rules. Yeah. You enjoyed the World Cup final. I did. I mean... I did. It was was impossible not to enjoy. It was one of the greatest events in human history. I was shocked how much I enjoyed it. It was a really good football game. I mean, it's not quite the same as playing Mansfield Town on a Saturday at 10 a.m. Right. So I think that's the difference. Yeah. Well, thank you for potting with me. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. Thanks for having me. Thank you again for listening to Dear Hank and John. You can email us at hankandjohn at gmail.com. This podcast is edited by Joseph Tunamedish. It's produced by Rosiana Hals-Rojas. Our head of communications is Brooke Shotwell. The music that you're hearing now and at the beginning of the episode is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't Don't forget forget to be be awesome. awesome.